Lent began this last Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, and we started a journey through the Lord's Prayer. We began it, we continue through the Wednesdays, but for now, these weekends, we're looking at pivotal parables. You heard it spoken to the children, you heard it read in the Gospel. Let's think about it some more as you're seated. Pivotal parables for Lent. Pivotal in the sense that they are critical. They're crucial. They're central. There goes my alliteration again. Causing us to pivot. That is, to turn. To turn from the kind of ways we are thinking about God to Jesus' ways. Jesus as he speaks to us the truth and points us in the right direction. There are two pivotal questions in regard to the Christian faith. You stop and think about it, it's pretty easy to come up with. How do I get to heaven? That's critical. That's pivotal, don't you think? The answer? The answer is easy. The answer is easy for us who've heard God's word in Jesus. It's grace. Or one word, love. The love of God, his undeserved love, toward us. Even as we confess today, we don't deserve it, but God gives it to us. But then there's that second critical question that you heard from an expert in the law of his day. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Inherit paints one picture of receiving the gift, but along with it, what should I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life. Sounds like two different things, doesn't it? But Jesus, in speaking about the Good Samaritan, brings those two things together for people like you and me. And it's important. It's important indeed. Jesus shows us the way. The Good Samaritan. You know, many people, and we've even this morning referred to it as a parable. But you know what? I don't know that it is. Luke didn't tell us that when Jesus spoke, and often that's the case. Jesus spoke this parable, but Jesus just started talking. And so maybe it was a real-life incident that he knew about. I don't know. You don't know. And guess what? It doesn't matter. Instead, the story, the event of the Good Samaritan is what counts. This is well known, by the way. It's well known among Christians. If I were to ask, you would know just by the title. And you realize that people beyond the Christian faith also know this Good Samaritan incident or story. It's one of the best known. If you take them all and you put them side by side, you could put last week's parable, the prodigal son, or as I spoke about three prodigals, and this Good Samaritan. One is number one, the other is number one. Obviously important for Jesus and for us. Now, the Good Samaritan, the story, the incident, pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Four characters, yes? A man who is beaten, left for half dead along a road often traveled, a dangerous road. There he was about to die. And then the two that passed along the way, and then passed by. 
a priest and a Levite, both who worked in the temple of God, taught people, offered sacrifices, and did those things in the worship community that were very important. I don't know why. I don't know where they were going. I don't know what they were up to. None of us knows. But guess what? It doesn't matter. You can speculate about it. I can speculate. Well, they, they were in a hurry. They had to get to church, so to speak. They had to do their duty. That's why they passed by. Or even the law. You can't touch something dead or about to be dead, especially a person. But it doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point begins to unfold when the third man comes along, the Samaritan. The, the one who is not a Jew. The one who was beaten and half dead, ultimately, circumstantially, inherently, was a Jew. Heading down from Jerusalem, down to Jericho. But that Samaritan, whom the Jews felt was a half-breed, not a true child of God, it was he, despite his nationality and despite the animus between the two, the Jews and the Samaritans, that Samaritan stopped. He helped. He bandaged up the wounds of the man. He took him to a place where he could begin his recovery, and he ensured that he would be fully recovered by paying even in advance and promising to pay even more upon his return if it were necessary. Straightforward? Clearly understood? I bet it is. But then, then Jesus asked the pivotal question, crucial, which of these three, he said to the expert of the law, do you think was neighbor to the man? Easy answer. This is an expert in the law. He said, well, the man who showed mercy, he was the one. And then Jesus said, and it all came to a point when he said, go and do likewise. The last thing Jesus said, boom, the point of it all. It's a lot like last week's parable, the prodigals. It wasn't just one. Remember I talked about three prodigals, the younger son, the older son, and the great love of the father. Well, the older son, if you recall, had trouble with the father in his infinite love, welcoming home the one who we always call prodigal from his reckless life and wasting his inheritance. But the father's love reached out to the older son too and said, you gotta come, you gotta celebrate with us. For my son was lost, now he's found. But you know what? The parable left us hanging. We don't know what the older son did. We don't know if he came around. And it's just like that with this good Samaritan. As the expert heard it, we don't know. We don't know what he did, if he did anything. But now the issue is ours. Go and do likewise. The first question that comes to our mind is, well, who is my neighbor? And the second issue then becomes putting it into action. So... Who is our neighbor? Well, you know, to the Jews back in the day, a Jew was a neighbor. And it was only a neighbor 
Jew to Jew who lived in that kind of relationship. That was their mindset. That was their construct. In other words, it was limited to people like themselves, of their same nationality, even of the same faith. Sometimes we fall into the same category. We're quick to help those in need who are like us who live next door, maybe down the street, but not too far. Those of our congregation with whom we share faith and background and even culture, anybody close. You know, sometimes I think we have tunnel vision, like we block out a lot and we're focused on just a very few things, a very few people. We get selective, we get stingy, the temptation that was seen in the parable is a temptation we fall to a lot. Just certain people to be neighbor to. But anyone, everyone, near and far, anybody who needs help, even our enemies, those are the ones whom Jesus shows us to be neighbor and tells us Go and do likewise. Be a neighbor. You know, back in my motorcycling days, I remember uh, very clearly early in those days, a smaller bike going through town, came to railroad tracks that ran at an angle to the street. I had trouble negotiating and down I went. Gratefully, I was able to get up all by myself. But then it happened again, actually here in Fort Wayne, a bigger bike, a little heavier, going down the street, just testing things out, going slow, maybe too slow. Hit the gravel and over it went. And I was pinned underneath. Gratefully, there was a man working at the street in his truck. He saw, he came, he was a neighbor, even though he didn't live there. And I was grateful. As I was a third time, I went down. Gratefully, I never went down really bad. Never laid it down at a high speed. But I was going down our son's lane, which is just like a farmer's lane. It was wet. It had rained a lot. And I went slowly, probably hadn't learned my lesson, and over it went in the mud. <laughs> my daughter-in-law, God bless her, a pioneer woman, we call her, came and helped actually lifted most of that 800 or so pound motorcycle. And not only my daughter-in-law, she was my neighbor. I've heard the saying, I don't know where it comes from, I don't know what, where it originated or for what purpose, but it goes like this, think globally, but act locally. That's where it all begins, you see, locally, right where we are, right where God puts us, to be sure, is where we're called to be neighbor. But it's a lot like the pebble in the pond. You get a picture? You throw a pebble into a pond, a lake or whatever, and it makes the plop, and then it ripples further and further out. We're called to be neighbor. That's my parable, not Jesus. But we're called to be neighbor right where we are, but not in there. Go further and further, even to the ends of the earth. As a child, I remember, go to the ends of the earth, and in my young mind, developing, learning the faith, I thought, you know, God wants me to be, be a pastor. You know, I probably need to go to Africa 
and tell them about Jesus to share the faith. As I matured, got older, the call was still there, but I realized the pebble in the pond example without even knowing that exact image. To start where you are, that's where God placed me, and that was the unfolding of my ministry, of my life in Christ. It's like Mr. Rogers. Bethany talked about him, me too. Mr. Rogers, his neighborhood, and being a neighbor is what his message was. And you know why? I don't know, maybe he just chose it out of nowhere, but I don't think so. Did you know that Mr. Rogers was a Christian pastor? And I can't help but think, in fact, I believe that it was his connected to Jesus, his truth, love God and love neighbor, that caused him to do what he did, to teach what he taught. Mr. Rogers. The answer to question number two, going back, the one the expert and I posed at the beginning, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The answer, straightforward, believe. But that's where question number one comes in. How do I get to heaven? The two are together. They're related. They go one after another. God starts salvation. He did all by himself, out of his grace, out of his love. Love in the form of Jesus, who came, who rescued us, who lives within us. But the proof of that grace within us is seen as how we live, how we become, how we enact being a neighbor. Do you know, it was the brother of Jesus, James, who made that very clear in his letter to Christians. Listen, we read some also. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, he wrote, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds, show me your faith. Without deeds, I will show you my faith by my deeds. You see how they come together? They do. They must. That's the whole picture. The fundamentals of our faith. Jesus brought all this together as others did, but he made it most plain. You know, he was asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? Remember that question asked him? And you know, the Ten Commandments, I hope you know them one by one. To pick the greatest, almost a trick question, yeah? But what did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. I guess if I looked at the Ten, that's what I would have said too. The first commandment. No other gods before me. But Jesus didn't stop there, you see. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He linked the two together. Love for God and love for neighbor are basically connected. And what Jesus was saying was, you can't love God without loving your neighbor. The two fundamentally go together. So guess what? 
there's at least two more questions. The number one question, as I asked last week, is where's Jesus in all of this? Another easy answer. He's the Samaritan. You know, we travel the road of life. It's a long and it's a hard journey. 17 miles is one thing, our life years in most cases. We're subject to attack. Satan himself tempts, and he has others in our road to cause us difficulty, trouble, even harm, physically and spiritually. Some people just don't have time to help. But the Samaritan, Jesus, does. He came and he gave us the ultimate help, not only by teaching us and showing us love, but by showing it by dying on a cross for us, for you, for me, for the entire world. He was the Samaritan, the foreigner. God among us is one of us. That's where Jesus was. That's where Jesus is in the Good Samaritan incident. Question number two is how about you? How about you and how about me? Where are we in this Good Samaritan incident? How, when, where, how often? I suppose we could hear, don't be like the priest. Don't be like the Levite, even though they're religious. Instead, be the Samaritan. This is what you and I have learned to answer. Go and do likewise. However, it puts a little different twist to it. It's not just to hear Jesus' words and get them in here and make sure they come down to the heart. But it is important, vital, essential to go and to do likewise. It's like another parable that Jesus told. Remember, perhaps you do, Matthew's gospel about the two builders, one who built on rock, one who built on sand. The storms came. You know which one fell, the one on sand. And we say, well, the point of that is build on Jesus. Well, it's not what Jesus said. As true as what that conclusion might have been, what Jesus said in that parable is, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into action is like the one who built on the rock. You can't escape it, nor can I. It is being neighbor. It is doing the things that we're called to do. The two go together. They do. So, so now it's up to the expert in the law, but not was it just up to him. It's up to you. It's up to me. Who is your neighbor right now in your life? Who is that neighbor? The, door ne the, the neighbor next door, down the street, somebody else? Ask yourself the question. Or is it somebody farther away, actually acting locally but thinking globally? Is it maybe an enemy? Where Jesus also said, love your enemies. Who is neighbor? And, and then, you know, pray about that if you don't know. Or if you need another neighbor and meditate on God's word and make a plan. Make a plan. Even this morning, you know, we're going to have that pause in time when praise is offered to God through an offertory and then through a prayer. Use it as a time to think, maybe even write down if you're inclined to write things like this. 
and then ultimately when we leave this place to put that into action. Go and do likewise. That is where Jesus ended. That is the point. I'm under no illusions. You're not going to remember this sermon, maybe even tomorrow, next week, next year, I don't know. But you are going to remember the Good Samaritan. And I trust and pray you're going to remember Jesus. And remember what he finally said to you and to me. Go and do likewise. It's about grace. It is about going. They go together, you know. In Jesus. Amen. God who has given grace will keep us in that grace and lead us in our going to be neighbor. Count on it.